Kyokushin Cast, the world's best and only sports anime fan podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Hello. Hey, thanks for joining me today, Matt. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you may be already aware of, we are covering week five of the fall season that would be all sports anime airing between October 30th and November 5th. So I think we are going to jump right into it with our current new format with uh, Yuri on Ice. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just go ahead like we did last week. I think it worked pretty well where I do the summaries for all the shows except Keijo. So um, yes. I'll just start it off here with uh, Yuri on Ice. So they pretty much jump right into the new tournament structure. Last week they alluded to the fact that he's going to be going through a couple tournaments and they start with the first one, which is uh, effectively the Japanese figure skating nationals um yuri gets reintroduced to his japanese quote-unquote rival character minami uh yuri forgets who he was and minami gets pissed and yuri finds out that he has to perform first in the first round and he's sad about that um they cut ahead to the competition itself and yuri is nervous but then victor comes over and hugs him from behind and tells Yuri that he needs to seduce him with his performance and be a beautiful pork cutlet bowl. Uh, so that <laughs> helps. And Yuri gets a good audience reaction during his performance. He ends up getting a personal best uh, in his score. And then uh, Minami performs as well. He ends up being frustrated that Yuri didn't watch because he uh, thinks of Yuri as an, like an idol of his. Uh, then they go to the second round, which is the, the free skate or the longer skate. Um, Yuri again is, is anxious, but uh, Victor calms him down by applying chapstick to his lips with his fingers. And then Yuri performs uh, his long routine, but he upgrades the difficulty of the routine while he's doing it without asking Victor's permission. He makes a few mistakes, but also impresses everyone with his audacity um he ends up winning the competition overall and uh, minami is very impressed by yuri's audacity they end up coming to terms and having a very cordial discussion at the end of the episode yuri um announces that his theme for the grand prix season is going to be love because uh victor is the first person he's ever felt he wanted to hold on to he doesn't have a name for the emotion he feels towards victor but he decides to go with love yeah that really felt like a cop-out but also i mean unfortunately you just can't really get away with saying that you're gay in an anime without it immediately being typecast as being shown an eye so right. but i mean and that's what we've said the whole time um yeah so i think this and it, re it reinforced a lot of things here right um i don't know uh, how much new ground it broke but I, I, I why don't you just start off with your overall impressions uh i liked it this episode felt a little bit more all over the place yeah um, I got a little confused by the timeline here, uh, because, so, I didn't understand whether time was skipping in between the two different competitions, or, like, if we were skipping between, like, different months, or if we were, what or you... if this was, like, supposed to be the same day. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be two days. Okay, yeah, that's, because generally the show has been pretty good about showing the transition from day to day. And they kind of didn't really do that this time, or maybe I just missed it 
and while I was taking my notes or something, but I, I felt like it, it it didn't really feel quite all the way there. Like there's this moment where uh, Victor gets really mad at Yuri because he's like apparently not being supportive because he wasn't watching Minami, and I didn't really yeah. quite understand where that was coming from. It it did seem random. Um, there was a recurring thing in this episode with Victor critiquing Yuri for a lot of stuff. Yeah, um, that one in the first after his first routine, he critiqued him for basically his execution on jumps. But in this one, he uh, before his second routine, he critiqued him for. It, Basically, he said that if you can't motivate someone else, how can you yourself be motivated? Right. Which, and I did... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's funny because even Yuri didn't understand what he meant by that. He's like, well, now I'm not motivated. Like, you just made me demotivated. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? So, I don't know if it was necessarily something that was supposed to be super clear or just, like, Victor being weird in Russian, you know? Right. And I, to be fair, I did like how that had a like his comment about how if you can't motivate somebody else, how can you motivate yourself? I liked the payoff at the end of the episode where he very proudly and boldly proclaims that he's going for the gold. Yeah. Uh, in the Olympics, and I thought that was a very nice. Not not the Olympics. Oh, sorry. Yeah, at the Grand Prix. Right. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, but yeah, I did appreciate that, and I thought that was a vi- I thought that was some character development, and uh, that was very well earned, and was very satisfying to see. Um, and you know, I can kind of complain about that, but God, I still love watching these uh, these skating matches. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, but... I mean the the routines themselves are worth it, and the to to the episode director's credit there was a lot of just extended sequences of routines so right. you got to see most of both both yuri's routines and you got yeah. to see minami's um routine you got to see his his long routine yeah um, and i really appreciate how she's able to really make that both like all the routines feel very distinct oh yeah and, uh, like, I really appreciated watching Minami's, like, how different it felt with, like, the tap dancing routine. Like, in the middle of, like, an ice skating. Like, I didn't realize that was even possible to do. Yeah. No, that was like, that was fun to see. Um, um, I, I also appreciate just the way that they animate Yuri. So when you see him fall over, you can see that he sort of is over twisting. You can tell which jumps are executed well and which ones he barely pulls off because some look smoother than others. You know, it's, it felt like there was a lot of nuance placed into his execution. Right. Um, I don't know. I I have no complaints about the figure skating itself. Oh yeah. Well, because I, uh, there were two moments in particular I wanted to bring up is like, uh, during Yuri's first uh, performance, I really like the way that they kind of make you feel the tension during that because that the whole point of that is that Yuri is really trying to like pull off this routine well. Yeah. And they kind of help you feel the tension because they don't because Yuri's kind of narrating what he's doing and it's go but it's going just like a beat too fast mm-hmm. compared to like what he's actually doing in the routine. So there's kind of this constant tension between trying to listen to what he's saying and actually like watching and making like seeing what he's doing. Yeah, is he actually gonna pull off what he thinks he's gonna pull off? Yeah, like what he thinks he's doing in the moment. And I thought this what that um that really helped you like just feel like what it like what it feels like to do that in the moment trying to keep track of both like you know mentally keeping track of what you're trying to do and then actually like 
try and then actually like the actual performance of it right yeah i don't know the the execution of his first routine was was interesting because like victor said during that period that he was too stiff he was too focused on the mechanics but he he wasn't really living because victor's whole thing with yuri is that he makes the music come alive that he sort of draws you in but if he's just focused on technique and the mechanics of his jumps then that's not actually that engaging and that doesn't capitalize on what makes yuri a special skater right and uh yeah and i think that kind of helped as well because it kind of because i think during that doing it like portraying the scene like that helped us kind of understand where uh, victor is coming from in that regard because again we're not really paying attention so much to like the routine as it is as we are just trying to make sure that it's working right um the other moment i wanted to bring up as well um what did you think about the face slam oh my gosh that was amazing oh my god i gasped i actually like audibly gasped when that happened yeah uh Um, so do you want to just set up what happens yeah, basically, during Yuri's second routine, I I wasn't I didn't really want to pause it, so I didn't get a good glimpse of like the shots that lead up into it, um, because I was just kind of mesmerized by the performance. Yeah, same. And but and it's but it's such a graceful performance, and then like all of a sudden you just see Yuri slam his face into the wall, and I just I was so caught off guard by something just so brutal in the middle of like just something so graceful and like just pleasant to look at and it's like and you you get a close-up shot of this face slam like so you really get to see how his face just gets mashed into the wall i mean he comes out fine of course but just just, it really worked well for the shock value of just how like how just brutal that was well what i liked about it was the same thing i liked about his mistakes earlier in the routine is that they were a product of him trying to overextend himself like he didn't he didn't want to compromise on the difficulty of his routine he wanted to be able to really impress victor with what he was able to do right Um, yeah and i mean but i I like how he still manages to pull it off in the end i mean i know that's kind of like oh yeah yuri pulled it off i mean no big deal like nobody's really surprised about that but uh yeah i kind of like the fact that he's that his performance is like just so good that he's able to still pull off such a strong like score even with that just clear and obvious like misstep yeah i don't know the the thing the thing i guess i ultimately liked about it was that it it felt like all he wasn't just messing up because of you know the random need to have a character fail it was right. it was building it, all of his success and all of his failure actually built into the narrative about his relationship with Victor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't just there to be there to create tension of like, ooh, is he gonna lose? You know, whatever. Um, so do you want to uh, before we move on? Do you want to sort of discuss the the state of the Yuri Victor relationship? Yeah, I actually kind of did want to bring that up because I thought this episode did some very interesting, subtle things to start showing up. Even though that they're getting a lot closer, it also kind of set up some things that feel like there may be a little bit more tension later on. Yeah. Um, There was a line that really uh, got me in this episode, which was... So there's a section during Yuri's uh, second routine 
where he's supposed to be showing... This is supposed to be portraying the moment where uh, Victor first came into his life and they were first starting to get to know one another. Mm-hmm. And Victor actually points out, like, you don't look like you're enjoying this. And he seems very confused by this. And I feel like this is going to lead to an interesting moment of self-reflection for Victor because he doesn't under actually understand what the nature of their relationship is. What do you mean? Like, well, because he doesn't seem like Victor just sort of assumes that Yuri is just was just thrilled to always have him around. Oh yeah. Like, uh, like you know, he's finally getting to know his idol, and so he seems surprised by the fact that in Yuri's routine, he's kind of portraying this as actually being kind of a kind of a conflicting emotion for him because mm. he's he you can also see that early on in those episodes that yeah he's excited to have him there but he's also kind of terrified by that prospect yeah and i think victor is starting to understand that a little bit more now hmm. yeah it's uh, like you you wonder if moving forward there'll be an issue of sort of a balance of power in their relationship right. where one is the worshiper and one is the worshiped and, yeah. you know, at first brush, it can seem great for both sides. Because, like, Yuri's like, oh, I get to be around my idol. Great. And uh, Victor's like, oh, someone idolizes me. Great. Uh, but over time, that's a very imbalanced relationship. And you wonder whether that might create a, a rift. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I like that they're they're kind of planting the seeds now. Yeah. And so Rather there's no actual later. right. There's no actual conflict per se, um, right? But, but we're just starting to see the seeds of that doubt. Uh, and I thought it was interesting though, as well, because I kind of chuckled at Yuri's uh, uh, behind the back hug. I kind of appreciated how like weirdly tender that was of Victor. Yeah, he didn't. He definitely didn't have to do that, but he knew what Yuri needed in that moment. Right, um, and it was kind of a, uh, it, it kind of took me off guard a little bit, because like, Victor has always come off as being just a little bit too overly happy, so kind of seeing him kind of, like, actually give something that Yuri maybe needed at the moment was, you know, it came off as very tender to me, I don't know. Yeah, so the other thing we saw in this episode uh, regarding those two was basically that they were very affectionate with each other right. throughout, and a lot of other people reacted to that. So they, <laughs> there was a couple instances. There's like we talked about the hug before the first skate, then um, before the the second routine. Like I said, uh, Victor put chapstick on Yuri's lips, and then they hugged for a while. Um, right. And then at the end, when he declared that you know he felt so emotionally supported by Victor for the in a direct not abstract way for the first time and that the right. only word he could use to describe it is love and a lot of people just sort of in all three instances people were taken aback by it um, yeah so it's it's interesting to see what 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 makes that interesting for me is that earlier on in the show they pretty much all of their interactions that you could describe as romantic were private interactions or with only a couple people right these are all public interactions and people are reacting in a way that would make them say like oh that's unexpected oh that wait is that a romantic they're they're reacting in a way that they're they're taken aback at the romantic nature of how how it sounds or how they're acting um which is interesting because it makes it more difficult to write off that 
subtext yeah. to the show. Yeah, exactly. Like, the series is acknowledging at this point, yeah, these two are definitely more than just coach and uh, mm-hmm. athlete. Like, there yeah. is something... Like, the series is actively addressing their relationship, which is not something we ever really see in series like this. Well, yeah. I mean, how many times do people need Victor to say, go out there and seduce me, Yuri, uh, for them to think (laughs) that there's something more to their relationship? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm just saying. I know. I mean, obviously we were both convinced relatively early on, but what's interesting is that the show keeps re-acknowledging it when it, it doesn't it yeah. could pl- keep it less they could keep it coy basically exactly they could keep it just as a knowing wink to the audience mm-hmm. but they're actually kind of keeping it at the forefront mm-hmm. yeah which i think is impressive anyway um do you want to move on to haiku oh yeah let's do it okay so haiku episode five uh it starts off uh shira torizawa just lost the second set um their setter uh shirabu blames himself knowing that he was basically tricked by suki and uh so we see a flashback at the beginning of the episode of shirabu and junior high he saw shira torizawa junior high playing uh, volleyball and he saw ushiwaka and decided from there that he wanted to go to shira torizawa so that he could play the kind of volleyball that depends on the strength of the spikers instead of the ingenuity of the setters like him uh, then he, it pretty quickly they go back to the present and you see that Karasno lost the third set. They lost the third set by seven points, just like that. And uh, <laughs> so Karasno tries to regroup and focus on moving as a team, mobbing on the spikers. And um, so Suki tries to reorient the blocking strategy uh, so that Ushiwaka is forced to spike directly at Nishinoya um and then sort of towards the end Kurasano is able to keep up in the fourth set but they can't actually break away um the the score is pretty much even and at, at one point Ushiwaka criticizes Hinata for being able to do anything other than spike you know because he's too <laughs> short but he can't actually block he can't actually receive um so in response uh Hinata discovers on on the floor he discovers a running block where he basically runs with the same momentum that he would to do a spike but instead he just jumps and does a block he manages to block Ushiwaka um and take the lead and that's pretty much the end of the episode I think it's something like 12 11 in, in the fourth set at the end of the episode right so that you wanna you, what what were your big takeaways for this one, Matt? Uh, first of all, what did you think about the fact that they just skipped the third set? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they showed like the first couple points, and then they did a flashback, and then it was over. I don't know, it was weird. Um, right, like you know, we have a ten episode series season devoted to like this entire match Mm -hmm. now i realize that they can only do whatever the manga actually has the content of Mm -hmm. but i'm really taken aback by how we are halfway through the season and there are and we are already nearing the final set here yeah um so i i guess it kind of it displayed a lot of confidence i wasn't sure how i felt about it at the same time though i guess we don't 
really need to see every moment-to-moment beat mm-hmm. of the third set. Right. So, in a way, I do kind of appreciate that they did skip it. Yeah, Because the think, important thing is... Yeah, it, it'll, it'll be interesting because I think what we're going to see here is the strategy that Karasuno takes on the next level in order to come back and win. Because Karasuno has to win the fourth set. Right. The, like, if they lose the fourth set, then the season is over. Right, like. exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, one other thing I did notice about... Um, one of the other things I did notice, uh, there was a line from the bull cut. Uh, what was his name again? Shirabu. Shirabu, where he uh, he makes a spike, I believe, and it ends up going in, mm-hmm. even though they had the blockers there, and, but they managed to block it. Or something like that, but that still goes in. And he says something very goofy, like, you're only an ace if you can create miracles. Oh, yeah, sorry. That that wasn't Shirabu. I, I missed that character's name. That's, like, the first year who wants to replace Ushiwaka. Oh, um, my bad, but, my bad. But, yeah. Okay, go go, uh, go ahead. Something I just, I really appreciate about Shiro Horizawa, I was kind of expecting the entire team to be, like, a group of Ushiwakas. Yeah. Like, based off of his personality being like, you know, you know, everybody on my team is like me. Or, like, you know, they have my same kind of power. Yeah. As he was saying in, like, the last season. So, I kind of appreciate the fact that Shiro Torizawa is made up with, with a bunch of other goofballs. Yeah, that's kind of the, the funny thing you see with a lot of lazier sports shows. Is that they will have one central character on a team. And then everyone else will be variations on that same character. Right. Um, as if... Everyone who goes to one high school is, you know, super serious and has a low voice and doesn't have feelings like Ushiwaka. Um, but of course, that's ridiculous. And but but it's very easy <laughs> to just sort of create opponent teams and make them very uniform so that they're easy to remember. But this isn't right. doing that, thankfully. Yeah, they're actually like going into each of these characters and giving them a pretty distinct personality. Yeah. Um. The other thing I kind of wanted to adjust... Uh, we've already gone on and on about their animation in, yep. uh, in this series. Um, but something I wanted, wanted to uh, point out about... Like, there's... I really appreciate how lively these matches feel. Um, or how this match feels. Like, there's a moment when Tendo spikes the ball... And, like, nobody's able to get it. It's, like, not even close. Mm-hmm. But off to the side, you see Azumane diving for the ball... Like, yeah. you didn't need to throw that, like, little detail of somebody trying to even, like, catch it. Yeah. Right? Like, any other series, like, without, like, the same budget uh, or, like, the same level of animation as Haikyuu, you could easily get away with not showing, like, the team even able to grab, like, catch the ball or even attempting to in a shot. But I appreciate the level of detail that they go into with just every single hit that they're able to portray. Uh... Because it really helps the matches feel very alive and like an actual match. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the biggest strengths. When you look back on what did Haikyuu do is that it had great animation, but it also had consistent animation. Because right. a lot of shows, as we've discovered, have great animation in the first couple episodes, but they can't right. actually sustain it over a season. Right, because they kind of want to make the first episode to be their big, like... It's a showcase. This is, 
yeah, this is the showcase. This is what is going to get people to watching the show. And then we can kind of start cutting corners later once we get the people hooked in. Yeah. Maybe at the end we'll save some of the budget so that we can go over and, uh, like, make the final scenes look, look pretty good. Yeah. But Yeah. So, but uh, go ahead. I, I just want to see uh, if you have any, like, big takeaways from, from episode five. Uh, other than that, uh, I, okay, so this isn't necessarily from episode five. This is something uh, that I've actually kind of noticed with every single episode. Um, it's a very, very, very small complaint. Um, but it's something that, it kind of takes me just a little bit out of the moment. And it was especially noticeable in this episode. So, at towards the end of the episode, we basically have this soaring, like, vocal chorus theme going over this dialogue about the... Like, basically, like, the fate of volleyball as we know it. Yeah. <laughs> right? And then the episode cuts away, and all of a sudden we're treated to, like, this jaunty theme music that's like, Gonna play volleyball with my best friend. Oh, yeah. Gonna have lots of fun in the sun. Yeah. It just... I, I mean, I know, like, it's just the ending theme, and I know, I, I've looked online, a lot of people really like it, it's fine, but just this music, like, everything that's being portrayed, like, in these episodes, just the sheer level of desperation, mm -hmm. and, like, passion, like, through all of the players, and then kind of cutting to this weird little jaunty music, it, it does kind of take me out of the moment a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's legit, I guess, I don't know. I think, I, I guess I never thought about it, but it is, it really doesn't connect with the, the tone of the rest of the show. The thing it right. connects with is the imagery of seeing all the different volleyball teams from across the series all playing together and being happy. For I, I think on, on some level it's just fan material to be like, hey, look yeah. at all the shipping you can do with this, you know? <laughs> That was almost exactly what I was thinking. It's it serves almost as a reminder. It's like okay, we gotta get some merch. We gotta we gotta gotta rile up the fan base. Get some uh, get some mer mm -hmm. merchandising off. And you gotta remind here. people of all the other characters because this series only features two teams. So you gotta remember <laughs> right. all the cute boys uh, on the other teams. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, Oikawa did show up here towards the end, True. but uh, yeah, he. It, but, I mean, it was a decent episode. Yeah, it was uh, it, good. It wasn't as good as last week, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's kind of... I feel like we're still building up to something. Yeah, I do, too. Um, so, speaking of something that was built up, do you want to move on to March Comes In Like a Lion? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, this was an interesting episode. Uh, basically, it focused on flashbacks to Ray's past. Um, right. So, there was a, a lot of setups. Basically, the, the conceit was... Ray would go about his business during his normal day, and then something would remind him of his past, and he would have a flashback. And this happened like three or four times. Um, so instead of going through the setups, which don't really matter, it's just him hanging out with Momo, um, right. <laughs> I'm just going to describe the, the flashbacks that he had. Um, so uh, it starts off when Ray's pretty young. I think he's supposed to be in about third grade, um, and he's playing shogi with his father's friend Koda. Um, and I guess his father used to be a professional shogi player. Ray's father, and then Koda played with him, and Koda is a is a professional shogi player. Um, so Ray is awkward and doesn't get along with any other kids, but he really enjoys playing shogi with Koda. And it's not that he even likes shogi, it's just that he likes being talked to like an adult and being right. respected. 
Um, then they flash forward to uh, Ray getting back from a school trip, and his mom and his dad and his little sister all died because they got uh, in a car accident with a drunk driver. Um, Ray's aunt wants to give him over to an orphanage because she doesn't want to take care of him, but instead uh, Ray's father's friend Coda decides to take him in on with the understanding that he will be his apprentice in Shogi. Um, so Ray lies and says he likes Shogi because he wants somewhere to live with someone he likes. Uh, then they, they move forward, and again they flash forward, and Ray is dealing with his new adoptive siblings. So there's uh, Koda's daughter, uh, Kyoko, who is four years older than Ray, is very violent, and she ends up hitting Ray every time Ray beats her in Shogi. And then uh, Koda has another son named Ayumu, who is the same age as Ray, who's very shy. And uh, basically, Ray keeps developing. He r refers to Koda as his his father, and it gets Kyoko very angry. And then um, he Ray basically forces Ayumu to quit Shogi because he can't keep up with him. Ayumu gets depressed and like stops leaving his room and basically becomes a neat. And then later on, uh, Ray wins an amateur tournament. And he does so by defeating his adoptive sister, Kyoko. And then Koda forces Kyoko to stop playing Shogi, because if she can't even beat Rei, she'll never be a pro, so what's the point? And then she starts gallivanting around and being irresponsible. Um, by the end of the episode, Rei uh, gets under the impression that he's an imposter, and that he shouldn't be in their house, and that the only thing he's done is destroy his adoptive family from within so that's what prompts him to move out on his own live by himself and not ruin their lives anymore and just become a professional shogi player not because he loves it but because he can be independent financially if he does it and stop uh, ruining his adopted family's life yeah so there's there's a lot I want to talk about this episode, and I have no idea where to start. Okay, well, I'll just start wherever. We'll see where it takes us. <laughs> so, I just wanted to say, because I almost wanted to interject there, like, when you were talking about how uh, Kyoko was basically forced to stop playing Shogi. Yeah. So, the father there, there's a really powerful line there, where the father very calmly goes, So, you understand, right, Kyoko? And Kyoko is, like, clearly in, like, she is clearly distraught. Yeah. Her, like, like it looks like her world is destroyed, almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like, she's that bawling. Her father, yeah. yeah, she is bawling. Like, she, you know, I just, I even wrote my notes. It's like, do you understand, right, Kyoko? It's like, clearly she does not understand. Yeah, exactly. She's begging you not to do that. Right, she is begging you not to do that while also... Like, just not outright saying it. Yeah. And I just... I love the way that this father is portrayed as being this very complicated individual, essentially. Because he's he's very good to Ray. He is very much father... He's very fatherly to Ray, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to understand his own children and what they want. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, because... Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing more flashbacks and hopefully more present stuff with him because it seems like he doesn't think that he's forcing his kids to play shogi. 
but his kids all believe, and Ray included, all believe that the only way he'll love them is if they're good at shogi. Right. So that's kind of interesting, the the way that he's like, well, yeah, just quit. Like, this isn't, you know, if you're not naturally suited to it, it's not going to be easier. That's fine. Just quit. Like, you need to quit and move on to something else. But right. So he thinks he's doing them a favor. But right. Kyoko he, realizes, he... like, oh, no, I'm being shut out. Right, exactly. It's like, he thinks he's being a very supportive father here. Yeah. But he doesn't seem to actually understand that what his kids want, like, that his kids... Like, there's a really interesting scene where, um, where Ray, like, calls this guy... I forget what his name is, uh, but I'm sure you have... What, his father? Yeah, Coda. Coda, yeah. Yeah, where Coda like where he refers where ray refers to coda as father at the dinner table and he's like would you like any more father yeah he's like oh uh, sure that's fine and kyoko's just like did you just hear what he called you it's like well yeah it doesn't yeah it's fine like i asked him to call me that yeah it would be like, weird for he, him to call me master right yeah right exactly and he doesn't seem to understand the implication there is that ray hasn't had to work to get his affection yeah and whereas Kyoko clearly feels like she has had to work for this. Yeah. And so obviously she, you know, she's also got like a terrible temperament, but like, I, I like the way that the series is portraying this, you know, what should be a very understandable, like mentality that this father is taking and is showing how that's actually kind of toxic if you don't actually understand the people around you. Yeah. And if you don't communicate clearly with your kids, you know, right. Yeah. And like, and the funny thing is, even Ray is being destroyed by this because he's take because he know because he's seeing what this is doing, and he's blaming himself. Yeah, yeah, he thinks that he's the one who's destroyed their family. Which right, and now I did think that their uh, little comment about uh, because the way he comes to this conclusion is that he sees this uh, this documentary online about this type of bird that goes into nests and lays its own eggs and basically destroys the other bird's family. And I thought that was a fine way, like, to make him realize that. I didn't appreciate the way he they kept, the series kept saying, it's like, that's me. Yeah. That's me. It's like, I, I got the point, guys. Yeah. Uh, I, how many times does point. he have to say, I am that bird. That bird is me. It's like, okay, it's like we okay. got the symbolism, guys. There, It's good symbolism, but I, we got it, okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I really... There was an interesting series of shots at the beginning that i thought was a really interesting way to introduce us to the episode uh which is that it it basically kind of keeps us out of what's actually going on and kind of it's an easy it's an interesting way to drop us into the episode without having to like make it obvious that we're going into flashback mode now guys right and it also kind of connects later on. So we have, like, this opening shot of a bunch of blue flames, but we don't really know what it is. It feels like this very surreal situation, like, almost ethereal. And, you know, it's kind of... It, like, we don't know at the time that this is supposed to be, like, a hot plate. We just see, like, blue flames in this right. weird isolated area. And then we cut to the eyes of two unknown figures. Um, we see the glasses, so we assume one is Ray and one is somebody else. Um, and then it kind of, I don't want to go through the entire series of so shots, but basically it, um, we, we understand at a point, we understand that this is now Ray or that this is the man from the first episode 
And then it cuts and we see that it's not actually Ray, but it's the child. Well, I mean, it's child Ray. So it is actually Ray, but a younger version. And that's kind of how it introduces us to knowing that this is something that this is that this is taking into place in the past. Um, and I like the way, um, it's all sort of building up to this moment of where we have an extreme close-up of Coda's face, where he says, I lost. Mm. And I thought that was an interesting way of introducing us to the episode, because it brings back that feeling that Ray had yeah. when he talked about beating his father, about beating his father figure in Shogi before, about how he feels like he beat him. So we're kind of immediately introduced to the theme of this episode by that callback yeah that is interesting because that that's what he does in the first episode yeah he beats his father and he feels terrible about it because he feels like he basically just killed him yeah and so without actually having to call back to that moment just by saying we he lost by those words in the slow build up to that we kind of understand that this is the mentality that we're going into with this episode hmm. like we're getting this we're already getting this setup of why Ray feels like this. Like this is going to be why this episode is going to be about why Ray feels like that. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a really interesting way to move into it. Um the other thing as well that I noticed was the blue flames. Um about that about the blue flames, there's a uh when we see when we are introduced to uh the dead bodies of Ray's family, which is a really like I felt like goosebumps during that scene. Oh, yeah. It was very unsettling. Um, yeah, it was very unsettling because we're in this sort of dark room where we just see these bodies that are hidden underneath a sheet. But it's interesting because the way the scene cuts into that scene is that it's on a single... Um, the lighting of the room makes the candles look blue, and so we are cut into that uh, scene by just a single blue flame. Mm, I didn't um, so that. it's very not So it's very subtle, like symbolism here of the initial flames which are you know everything's together this world like ray's world is complete to all of a sudden now we have just a singular flame all of a sudden ray is now alone mm-hmm. um so i just i thought that was kind of an interesting i thought that was kind of an interesting uh connection there between the flames i'm still kind of wrapping my head about what it fully means but yeah <laughs> uh I thought it was an interesting. I thought it was an interesting uh, callback and uh, sort of a symbolism sort of thing. Yeah, and it's it's nice the way that it connects the different threads of the episode. Um, right. I think honestly, my big takeaway with this was just I, I, I was just grateful that there was some meat here um, <laughs> because the first four episodes have all been talking around the situation with Ray. And this one, it felt like it just took it head on. You know, it didn't take much prompting, but they were just like, okay, here's the backstory. You know, it was very much yeah. a here's the backstory episode, but it wasn't a, it wasn't executed in a lazy way. Um, right. It was still interesting. And you felt like if that had been episode one, it probably wouldn't have been as interesting. So I guess on some, even though I resented it at the time, I think I needed those first four episodes to wonder what the hell is the deal with Ray, you know, in order for (laughs) me to feel like there was something meaningful about getting it in episode five. Right. Like, I know you complained about it at the time, but I really appreciate the way now how they subtly introduced this, uh, this sort of, uh, like the, his sexual abuse that we know eventually comes later on. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and this kind of keep it kind of gives us this impression to already shape what we're going to be thinking about this character later on. So, for example, at the time we were thinking, it's like, so was this like his mother or something yeah. like that? Yeah, we didn't know who it was. They, he had that short flashback in episode four of some kind of sexual abuse. It really wasn't clear. But now we could clearly see by the design that it was his adoptive sister, Kyoko. Okay. But we still don't know the context for that. Um, right. So it, it is interesting. It is interesting, and it kind of already shapes up how we're supposed to see Kyoko as well, because right. we know she's going to end up doing this terrible thing, with, but we're already kind of sympathizing with her now, like, through her portrayal of this episode. Yeah, instead of just seeing her, which... Uh, the scene itself made her just seem like a drunk, right? Um, yeah. Which is, on some level, what she becomes by his description. Um, but understanding how she got there instead of just throwing you into it, which is nice. Anyway, I thought this really turned the series around for me because I had been sort of cooling on it ever since the first episode. And right. I think this made a lot of difference. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're turning around on it because I know it's funny because I started off not liking it. And then as we were watching more, I was actually starting to get more into it. Yeah. And now I think we're finally at a point where we're both like really into it yeah i i'm into it i love the shogi i i'm 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 genuinely interested in what each episode does um yeah so speaking of uh shows where we've gone up and down uh, do you want to talk about <laughs> scorching ping pong girls yeah let's do it okay give me one second so uh <laughs> scorching ping pong girls episode five uh, it starts off basically with the the setup from last episode where their Kirika is doing a series of 20 matches against all the members of the ping pong club. She's defeated all of them so far, and now she has to go up against Agari. Um, so Agari wants to make sure that she can win so that she can get a spot on the roster to nationals. Um, uh, Agari is able to counter uh Kirika's chop, and she's the first person to be able to counter the chop, but she still can't break through Kirika's defense. Eventually, uh, Agari is forced to switch to using her forehand smash, which she doesn't do very often, um, and eventually she's able to get motivated enough to win uh, by wanting to, to show Koyori uh, what it looks like to grasp victory. So she does. She wins. She scores the first point, and uh, she wins the match. And then it's Koyori's turn to play Kirika, and Koyori also wins the match because uh, she, she sort of does her traditional thing of enjoying ping pong so much <laughs> that it makes her opponent enjoy ping pong, and then she wins. Um, after that, they they all head home, and uh, they, they take off their cat ears except for Hokuto, who wears hers home because of course she does. Um, <laughs> and then Agari and Koyori promise to each other that they're going to go to nationals together. And, uh, then Kirika and Munemune are talking and they have a flashback to when they were freshmen at the high school. And they similarly promised each other that they would go to nationals together. And that's pretty much the episode. Yeah. Um, so I like this episode. It was definitely improvement over last week. I don't know if yeah. you agree or not. Yes. I mean, okay. it's hard not to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, last week was about as bad as it was going to get, I hopefully, feel like. Hopefully. Hopefully, at the very least. I guess it could go worse, yep. but... Um, so, when we started doing this podcast, I think our general intent was to get in... You know, we just wanted to kind of 
have fun talking about the different tropes of uh, sports anime and stuff like that. I don't think we intended it to become a gender study, but I feel like that's what's <laughs> become... Yeah, that, uh, it's kind of getting hard to ignore the Yuri subtext in the series. Yep. Um, so, this episode was a lot more about... We kind of see the two, I guess, couples getting together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see that kind of with... If not uh, three. You know, what was that? If not three. Right. Uh, because we have, uh, this is, we see a lot more development between Agari and Koyori, because yeah. Agari is beginning a lot more assertive with Koyori and getting her to believe in herself, because she talks about going to nationals, mm-hmm. and with the way she phrases it, it's not just about, like, no, we're going to go do this as a team, she's trying to get, uh, Koyori to believe in herself more. She says, like, no, it's not just they are, but you will beat your opponents. Yeah. Like, you can do this. Yeah, there is it, there is one exchange. I I I'm just gonna interrupt briefly, but there's there's one exchange right before Agari wins her match. She like stops right before she smashes, and she declares out loud. I don't know how she had this much time to de- make a declaration in the middle of a match, but she says, <laughs> "Koyori, keep your eyes peeled and watch me." And then she smashes, right. and then Koyori decides that she wants to go to nationals with Agari specifically. Quote. So I can feel my heart race with you even more. <laughs> um, and there's a, just a lot of her blushing and having her heart go doki doki around right. Agari, like throughout. You see, and I kind of thought that was interesting too, because when Agari, because uh, it's really Koyori who has driven Agari to get better at the game, because the reason she learned beforehand Smash was to de- was to face Koyori. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the same. Um, that's an, that's another point where. Um, Koyori goes all doki doki because Agari apparently wanted to learn the forehand smash so that they could be rivals. And she said right. that and she's like, oh, she wants to be rivals with me? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, um, unfortunately, I do feel like, and I think this would be a lot, again, you know, it comes back to our larger complaint. I don't particularly care for the way that this has been portrayed otherwise. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of a lot of the gags about Kirika trying to put cat ears on the girls and her whole uh, breast pillow thing with Mune Mune, yeah, has, which she uh, did again in this episode. Which actually, I I'm gonna defend that real quick. That actually came, uh, that's the other couple that I felt was sort of forming or has already formed. Yeah, because her laying on Mune Mune's chest actually felt a little bit. I've been using this word a lot lately, but it felt more tender. Yeah. It felt more like this was a more comforting thing for Kirika than just oh haha ha, she's gonna lay on her breast how. Well, because it, it did, funny. it wasn't a public display this time, right? Um, so again, the way that this is different from Yuri on Ice for me is that this doesn't feel like it's trying to say anything, um, right? It just feels like it's Yuri baiting in order to make fanboys fantasize and you know write fanfiction, yeah, draw doujin and uh, fantasize and like buy merch so that they can put together their favorite yuri pairing but they'll never actually say anything explicit they'll just talk about how doki doki it makes me to feel around you uh whatever that means right um so for me it's interesting to see where it goes on one level but on another level i'm pretty confident that they're doing it cynically and just in a way to go towards the 
sort of the the lowest common denominator otaku like we were afraid they were with their initial character designs yeah and i think that's kind of the problem is that if it wasn't done with such a male gaze i think it would work because i feel like it's almost there making some interesting commentary Mm -hmm. like I, i i feel like it's just about there but again we have to deal with a lot of this a lot of this other we gotta sift through a lot of this other crap and it kind of lessens a lot of the impact which commentary do you think it is almost making i feel like it's and i guess that's the thing is that i don't know i I haven't 100 percent thought that through yet it's kind of this whole like it's okay to explore to kind of develop uh like it's like okay so again it's like this sort of type of like a lot of these types of series that uh ping pong girls is drawing or yeah it's drawing from it's stuff like Kaon or to a lesser extent i, I hate to say this because i do like the series but uh melancholy of harui suzumiya yeah where you basically have cute girls doing cute things that are there to sort of comfort guys right. you know they're not really doing anything with their lives you're just kind of watching these girls be like cute. live their life yeah, yeah be cute essentially and so i feel like what this is doing is tr- like in a way, it's kind of showing that crowd that girls can be a little bit more complicated than that. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but... Right. You know, it, like, they can kind of, you know, they're exploring. Like, they can, Like, it's okay to feel conflict sometimes. Like, exploration is a good thing. But again, it's not 100% there, partially because I can't really draw a particular moral from this. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's what it could be, but it's definitely not what it is. And it's, it's not what def- it's even really trying to be. Right. And, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, it's like, because we were really, really positive about this series and like, I still, up until last episode. That's the thing. I still like the portrayal of ping pong. When they talk about ping pong, I'm all about it. It's all the other crap that goes with it that doesn't work. Right. Yeah, no, I hear ya. I hear ya. Alright, so... Um, so, I want to just say real quick, okay. uh, we've been kind of going through this episode, and I think we have both been wanting to get to this point. <laughs> which is, can we go on to Tiger Mask? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of times we're really excited to talk about Yuri on Ice, or Haikyuu, or, you know, like one of the really big series. No, this week it's all about Tiger Mask. <laughs> yeah, right, so I'll, I'll try and just get, get through the summary and... There's a lot I'm going to miss because there's a, a lot of weirdness here this week. Anyway, so okay. start off, no real explanation, but Naoto is running on a beach with his tiger mask on um, for some reason. And uh, then it immediately cuts to Miss X in America talking to Takuma and saying that if he wants to be the best, he can't just be strong, he also has to be beautiful. And then they have a photo photo shoot with Tiger the Dark. And then it cuts back to Japan, and a couple of uh, low-voiced pop idols with uh, twin pigtails are standing on the beach, and they see Tiger Mask, and they uh, make fun of him. And then it cuts to the match, and there's there's a match where Ryu is fighting, and he does 64 rolling key locks on the ground, but then he gets <laughs> tired, and he falls down, and he loses. And then it moves on, without commenting on that, to um, the same idols that you saw earlier in the episode 
are going to sing a song, but apparently they made a post on social media about how much pro wrestling sucks. So all the pro wrestling fangirls boo them and throw trash at the ring at them and chase them off the stage. And then a man jumps out from the side, uh, toward the side of the ring, and his name is Gorilla Jeet Singh, the Phantom Can of you Dubai. This man, Matt? Yeah, so he's a shirtless Middle Eastern man with a puffy afro and a headband, and he wields a scimitar, which is a long sword, and he runs into the ring and he uh, tries to attack the idols. And the referee with his sword, with his actual you left out the sword. You the where he ate the roses. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, no problem. So he's 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 waving his sword at these two idols, and when they entered the ring, they brought a bouquet of roses, and he takes that bouquet and he consumes it. He just eats a bouquet of roses, and then he's swinging his sword. He's going to attack them, but. In from the other side comes someone to defend them. Oh, it's a voice. Who is it? It's Tiger Mask, the man who is supposed to be fighting Singh anyway. So he jumps in, and he uh, stops Singh uh, from attacking them. The idols get off. Uh, Singh tries to attack the referee a lot, <laughs> and but Tiger Mask manages to wrench the sword out of his hands. Singh tries to get the sword back. He attacks the ref again. Um, and then ultimately Singh uh, pretends to give up, uh, but turns out he doesn't give up. He just grabs Tiger Mask by the crotch and tries to throw him, and then he attacks the ref again. And then uh, Tiger Mask ultimately dodges a flying knee from Gorilla Jeet Singh, and then he suplexes him for the win, and then Gorilla Jeet Singh threatens the referee again. Uh, after all that, the... These two pop idols come back on the stage, and the wrestlers introduce them, and everyone claps for them and screams their names and says how happy they are for them to be there for some reason. They all clap along, and then these pop idols sing about having good luck and how awesome their pigtails are. Um, <laughs> then it cuts to Tiger Mask uh, standing on the beach at night, and staring into the moon while his manager Haruna comes up and talks about his merch with him, and he wonders whether his merch will sell or not. The end. <laughs> I, I, that was okay. a long. It was a long summary because there's just so much weird stuff that happens. I didn't want to leave anything out. Um, okay, so um. Real quick, I just want to jump into this. I told you I did a little bit of research uh, after I watched the episode, right? Uh -huh. So let me just give you a little context here. I was watching that episode, this episode, and I heard the voices of the this pop idol group, right? Yeah, so they're called, for the record I didn't say it, they're called Nama Ham and Yaki Udon. Yes. So I listened to their, I heard their voices. I don't generally notice voice actors in anime. It's kind of the reason why we don't really talk about acting in these at all, because, you know, we don't understand the language. Right. But I heard their voices, and they sounded really weird. Yeah, they, like they had really low voices, and they had kind of a weird accent. Right. Um, and so, and I was thinking to myself, these people don't sound like anime voice actors. Yeah. So, I, uh, and so, and then they did that whole Pop Idol song thing, mm -hmm. right? And I looked them up. These girls are like a real idol group. Wait. Like... What? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, these girls, they're, like, these are, like, real idols that exist. Nama Ham and Yaki Udon are real people? Yes, they are real people. I googled it. They are an actual pop idol group. Specifically, they I think their hook is that they do comedy skits. Uh, which is why they wrote, I think, that, like, mean text about, yeah. like, how they were tricked into it. Because I was really confused about why they would do that, but I think that's, like, their thing. Yeah, and they just invented, like, random words. Like, they they described, like, oh, why are you even here if you don't love wrestling? And the, the idols, they said, oh, it's just a jobby type thing. And I guess, is that, that's their Yeah, motif? they just, they, like, they do, like, comedy skits and stuff like that. So, and I think that's kind of, like, their image. So I think this episode was meant to be like a promotion for this group. That's so weird. Right? Like, I just... Uh, like, uh, I don't even know what to say. Like, I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, that, that puts a lot of things in perspective. Because I'm like, who are these characters? Why do they have an idol group here? And why right. are they? And the fact was that everyone was booing them and throwing trash at them, and then maybe five minutes later they were all clapping along to their stupid song. Right? Like, like I just I heard these people, and it's just like I didn't think that these were people who were like actual voice actors, which is what I am. And they have such a weird design that mm -hmm. like. But there's a lot... So, yeah, what we were effectively watching here was basically a promotional episode that's there to, uh... You know, they had a filler episode that, you know, so they... Yeah, they had a filler episode. Why not get paid so, for it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. The, um, there's a lot of... I, I want to just go back and highlight a couple other weird things about this, if that's okay. Oh, please, by all means. There's a lot to talk about. Okay, so the first one was that Takuma appears very briefly in this episode and i said right. it in the summary all he does is have a conversation with miss x like he's getting a massage or something and miss x says that in order to be the best you can't just be strong you also have to be beautiful and right. then he puts his tiger the dark outfit on and he has a photo shoot and they don't show the results from that photo shoot they don't show anything <laughs> about it they just show him quietly standing like quietly listening to her while he gets a massage and then quietly standing and getting a photo shoot and that's it that's the whole thing they didn't want to pay the voice actor to show up in this episode this this was a cost-cutting episode and they couldn't pay all the voice actors that's amazing if true um i, I think that's why i just don't understand what that had to do with anything because it didn't <laughs> link to anything later in the episode right just like... i guess because they felt like they had to show takuma because he is a main character uh, yeah i guess but they didn't really have anything for him to do so he's just off in america getting like his pictures taken and it's a nice scene that they can draw where he doesn't actually have to say anything <laughs> yeah and i mean well i guess the other factor there might be that they need to include miss x because I, I don't remember the voice actress's name but she's a a veteran and she's a pretty yeah, well-known yeah. voice actress i was reading about that yeah so i wonder whether she has a stipulation like she has to be in every episode oh know? i'm guessing they she has some sort of uh contract agreement like that so they have to uh they have to get out the actors who they can pay a little bit less or they can they can kind of get around uh having in the episode yeah because that just made no sense but it was beautiful um, I do want to acknowledge again, I know, yeah, I didn't put it in when I was doing the summary, but it is very important, the fact that Gorilla Jeet Singh 
Which also, is he from Dubai? That's like not a very Arabic sounding name. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, do they know what what weird stereotype were they depicting with this? Guy? Okay, so I think so. I'm pretty sure they were trying to do a stereotypical Muslim. I do think that was their idea. Yeah. Okay, because I think Jeet in Japan is equivalent to how Americans use Mohammed. In the sense that, that like, when you want to go with a generic, yeah. like, Arabic name, you go with Mohammed. So, uh-huh. and I, because this is not the first er- stereotypical Arabic jeet I've ever seen. Because huh. I've seen that in One Piece as well. Huh. Um, and I think I've seen it one other place. So, I, I don't know that for certain, but I think that's the idea. Um, and I thought, when we were talking about the episode before, before we started this... You had made an interesting point about how, like, this feels like they were trying to be true to the spirit of, like, like how wrestling is in Japan, or really anywhere in the world where you have to have, like, the good hero, like, the good national hero versus, like, the evil foreigner. Yeah. It's still totally not cool, though. Right, exactly. So, the, the, the most well-known example is back from the 80s where we had Hulk Hogan uh, right. and his rival, the Iron Sheik, who was you know, a Muslim character and he was evil and he right. hated America, whatever. And so they had like Soviet characters and Hulk Hogan would fight them all for, to defend freedom and whatnot. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it does feel like it's playing on that, but also like why play with that? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So I thought they were going to redeem themselves at the very end of the episode yeah. when they go to meet this guy. And it's like, okay, this is a guy who's playing a character. Except we live in a fantasy world where pro wrestling is actually, like, a legitimate thing where people die. Yeah, exactly. And so, of course, he's not acting... Like, the gag is, oh, no, he's actually just this insane. Yeah. And it's like, okay, guys, come on. They're like, oh, no, we thought he was a nice gorilla. He's actually a crazy gorilla. Right. It's like, no, no, it's like, we just thought this was, like, an act. Oh, no, he's actually that insane. Yeah, like, why? It's like, that's not cool, guys. (laughs) Yeah, so... And, I mean, he does, to his immense credit consume a bouquet of roses right like he eats a bouquet of roses because that's just how crazy gorilla jeet singh is um (laughs) um i just want to touch real quick as well that ryu is slowly becoming my favorite yes that's the last thing i wanted to talk about okay (laughs) go through go ahead well okay so one of the things you mentioned about his whole like rolling on the ground thing i mentioned this to you before it's like this scene is portrayed like an actual wrestling match like, not not in the sense of pro-wrestling or anything like that, but, but you know, you yeah. turn on ESPN one day during the Olympics and you see that they're running the uh, the uh, the Olympic wrestling uh, yeah, matches. Yeah, Greco-Roman. Yeah, the Greco-Roman. It's And it just, it took me so out of it because it's, it's like this got weirdly real. Yeah, and, uh, and so the, the one thing I want to say about it is that for some reason that they refuse to explain, Ryu is fighting his opponent and he, like, locks his legs around his opponent's arm and he sort of rolls and flips his opponent and he does this 64 times Times. um for some (laughs) reason and then after the 64th time he stops rolling and uh he lies down and ryu has his shoulders on the ground so he gets counted out and he loses the match even though he just rolled his opponent 64 times for some unknown reason and uh they ask him ryu are you okay and he says no i am not okay (laughs) and then they cut away and don't acknowledge it again (laughs) 
like, like what? There's something about Ryu where he just I mean, gets the crap beat out of him. He's still recovering from his face crushing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he broke his face, and they his, his face is broken, and yet he's fine. Yeah, they don't bring it up. Nuts. They just he just gets destroyed week after week, loses, and no one cares. <laughs> Like, uh, I just also want to mention real quick, um, so there's, when they're doing the idol performance, like, you get the shots of the wrestlers, and they don't care, except for Ryu. He's the only one who's into this performance. Yeah, yeah. Also, how are you okay? You just came off the mat and said that you weren't okay and didn't okay, know but why. No, he's totally, but no, he's totally into their performance. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's oh. terrible. It's amazing. Um, so Tiger Mask W, it's, it's not a good show. Um, no, but for what it is, it's kind of funny to see, I don't know. It's one of those where it's funny to see it fall apart, it, but it never really had it together. Right. It, it got, they pulled it together for like one episode with yeah. Red Death Mask. Yes. And I, as I mentioned before, I think that's going to be the only like really like legitimately fun yeah. episode. Oh yeah. Episode three is a good episode and that's yeah. it. But this was kind of, or sorry, that was episode four. Um, and this was episode six for Tiger Mask, but anyway, so we'll move on and, and talk about, uh, All Out. Yeah, um, go for it, man. Alright, so they basically introduced at the beginning that this is going to be the training camp from hell episode, um, and they, so over a school break or something, they just, uh, Sekizan decides to have a training camp at the school itself, um, and so they're they're going they they they're starting this training camp and then this old man walks onto the pitch and starts criticizing them and they're like oh who's this old man it's a guy named Shingo who is a retired rugby player for the Japanese national team and then he's like where's Gion uh, and then Gion's like oh hey uh, it's that guy <laughs> I invited to come and they're like wait what he's like well they said that they needed more support so I just googled rugby coach and clicked the first name and told him <laughs> to come here um, and they're kind of confused by this old man who's telling them how much they suck at rugby but uh, he gives them some interesting advice and he talks to Sekizan uh, about how much Sekizan has to learn and Sekizan is sort of intrigued by this so Shingo uh, they, they allow Shingo to, to give them some coaching he divides them into teams of two versus two to show them how technique can beat strength in like a confined space and they have a little rugby game that they, they play and then um, he tells Sekizan that uh, all of his players are so tired uh, and he's overworking them, so they need to eat and sleep. So they go take a nap. Then they come back in the afternoon, and Shingo has strung metal wires and poles across the entire field in order to teach them how to stay low and pass low. So they have to run through these wires to to pass. And then they work on some scrums. And um, Oharano has some character development, kind of. And at the end, Sekizan asks Shingo to, to come back and coach them again the next day. Right. Okay, so I was not as enthusiastic about this episode as you were when we were talking about it earlier. Yeah. But I did like it. I do feel like this series is making the very slow improvements that it needs. Yeah, it started off so bad. Yeah, it really... Oh, not even, like, terrible, just very blah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. But uh, I feel like this is starting to make a lot more of the adjustments that it needs to be a bit more of an interesting series. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm a little mixed on how they introduce this coach, just on the basis that he just kind of feels it's like okay, he shows up, they have a new, they have a new coach. Yeah, it's kind of it funny was very how they inter- it was very lazy. <laughs> it was very lazy, as opposed to like something like Haikyuu, where they have to go through this whole process to get Ukai to like to finally convince. Yeah, him and Shingo like has that. no connection to the school. It is, I mean, I laughed at the thought that Gion just googled rugby coach and clicked right. the first name he saw. But it was lazy. <laughs> it's very lazy, but it's I it's I appreciate that they made a joke out of it. Yeah. Um, and that they're aware, yeah, this is a little lazy, what are you going to do? Like, that's a very real way to get a coach, though. Yeah. Which is the funny thing. Yeah. Um, I What I really appreciated, though, was the way that the coach actually made Sekizan a much more interesting character than he's been portrayed up till now. Yeah, true. Which is the whole thing about, like, Sekizan has always... There's this very reoccurring trope in a lot of uh, sports anime, and not necessarily a bad one, but it's essentially this whole trope of the the wise senior member who's basically always right, mm-hmm. and like the way he's this very experienced. He's basically this person who's always he's already made this journey to like where he is now, and he's trying and he's trying to impart his knowledge upon the rest of the team mm-hmm. and they can do the and you know that's not necessarily a bad thing yeah Sekizan was a very boring interpretation yeah. of this character yeah like the character who has nothing to learn about the sport right like and but what i thought was really interesting about this was the fact that uh <clears throat> he's basically too wrapped up in his own methods of training to see that it doesn't work for everybody else right which was the interesting thing of that this coach introduced to Seki, Sekizan. He's like, look, do you even see your players? They're not, like, they're tired. They're exhausted. You need to let them rest. Yeah. Not everyone can keep up. Just because you can practice for four hours straight doesn't mean everyone can. And you're actually... Yeah, exactly. Basically, he said, you're going to burn people out and they're all going to quit and it's going to be your fault. And Sekizan hadn't even realized that. I liked, right. I liked yeah. that a lot, too, that... Um, he also brought up the fact that Sekizan only started playing rugby in high school. So his right. his inexperience meant that he also didn't know how to coach, and he was just doing what worked for him. That was sort of part of why, is that he didn't really know how to be a leader. Yeah, exactly. And it's nice to see that, hey, you know what, we're going to start seeing this sort of mentor, this wise third-year character actually have to develop himself yeah it's it's hilarious to think it's it's funny to see because sekizan initially came off as sort of like like you said he's this perfect character who's perfect at rugby and he's infinitely strong and he's infinitely confident but then in this episode he's like i don't know what i'm doing like he just sort of finally realized he didn't know what he was doing in leading this team he needed help he desperately needed someone to tell him how to coach a rugby team and he was just so happy that someone else could teach him so that i don't know that was fun to see yeah yeah and i'm actually i'm totally down with that the other thing i did notice about this episode as well was that so haikyuu is kind of fulfilling our uh, our need for an for an anime or a sports anime with like really like visceral like really like intense hits uh, like that, that are still like pretty naturally portrayed. Yuri and Ice is kind of fulfilling this whole like this sort of beautiful, graceful. Mm. So like this very fluid style that's very satisfying to see. All Out is starting to grow into its own with the animation in a very different way. In that we're getting starting to see a lot more like really exaggerated movements that are really satisfying to watch play out. Like what? Oh, um, Gion's. Uh, 
I want to call it a headbutt, but it was really more of a... Oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so, I really like... So, there's a way he just lean... Like, we don't just get him sort of leaning back and butting the ball. No, we get to see him, like, fling his body back, and like, with the sheer raw force of this ball. Mm-hmm. And it's... You know, it's fun to watch this sort of style. Um, just the, just this whole, like, exaggerated movements. Like, this is clearly not, like, a realistic way in which they could, uh... In which they would probably do this motion. But it's still way more fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was a fun scene. I mean, Gion doesn't do much in this episode, but he's kind of right. fun where he's going to show up. Which is also kind of why I've not been as into this episode as you were. Just on the basis that I... I wish they were focusing a little bit more on Gion, because I feel like they're starting to focus a little bit too much on the team as a whole, and I don't feel like we really have a solid basis of somebody to follow. Mm, yeah. Like, we we don't really have our underdog that we're really rooting for in this team. So, like, for example, in Ace of the Diamond, that would be uh, Salamura. Right. For example, because, you, you know, that's still a, that's a series that's very much based around the team, Yeah. but we get introduced to it through Salamura. Whereas, All Out, like, we kind of have that in Gion, but the series even made a joke in its first episode about, it's like, oh, you'll learn more about these characters later, we're not going to bother introducing them now. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I would really like to learn a lot more about who our central character is, and I feel like it just doesn't have a focus. That's true. Um, the last the last thing I want to say about All Out is, that I like about it, is that... At the beginning, I was worried it was going to take the tact of days where um, the only thing you had to do to be good at rugby was just keep training and just keep exercising. You know, the, the same way that it, it looked at the beginning, like the way Guillaume was going to become great at rugby was by doing bear crawls for three hours a day, um, which made me worry that it was just going to advocate for ceaseless exertion. Uh, like. Which, you know, is not the healthiest uh, thing for young bodies to do. Um, and this episode really undermined that. He, he sort of, the, the coach said to, to Sekizan, like, are you serious? You just have them exercising without actually learning any technique? You're just trying to have them hit each other over and over and over and over without learning the technique or strategy for how to play rugby? Do you really think you're going to learn like that? Do you think anyone's going to be healthier for that? Like, you are going to make everyone quit or burn out, and then you'll <laughs> lose. And so I, I liked that they set up the team as Sekizan being this ruthless taskmaster who just advocated physical labor what? and training, and then in the fifth episode undermined it and said that that was stupid right so that, and i can appreciate that at the very least yeah i i just thought it was it was a an unusual approach and i i appreciated right. it um, yeah 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 so um go ahead so yeah I, I i feel like this is like we're seeing a lot more anime now or a lot more sports anime that are kind of going against what was traditional for sports anime Aware with, you know, the whole idea, it's like, you just gotta keep training. Training until you're just, until you're bleeding and don't have anything left. Yeah. And then, but I feel like we're getting a lot more series now that are basically like, whoa now, hold up, that's actually not healthy. Yeah, and we talked about this before with battery, and I think, obviously, the more you can get that message out there, the better. Um, right. We're totally gonna run out of time, so I, I'm just gonna skip to days and we'll be, <laughs> we'll be sort of short on these these last few. Um, You're right. So, Days Episode 6, this is the end of the match against Seikon. Um, 
Himura on Seikon says that he is going to uh, avenge his defeat in the first half. Uh, the coach of Seikon wants to add another forward to support him because apparently Himura plays by himself as forward. Um, Tyra says that he'll quit the team if they substitute another forward in. Okay. Um, then Himura <laughs> immediately has two miracle goals. He takes the lead. Then they flat have a flashback for Kimishita, who uh, remembers playing as a rookie with Mizuki and passing to him, um, and how good he used to be. But now he he's doubting himself because he's not as he's not good, and he thinks Mizuki doesn't trust him. Um, but then it turns out that when Mizuki said he didn't like Kimishita's passes, it was just because Mizuki's an idiot. And when he said he wasn't satisfied with Kimishita's passes, it's because he's not satisfied with anything and he always wants to improve. So then they're like, oh, I guess we're a team again. Um, and they're able to succeed. And ultimately it ends up where Tsukamoto uh, has an opportunity for an open goal because of Kimishita's supportive, loving passes. Uh, but he can't <laughs> But he can't make the shot because he's afraid of missing. Um, so then Kazuma is broken out of his anger basically by Ubukata and told that he needs to support his friend because he's lonely without him and so Kazuma goes around and tells Tsukamoto that he can shoot and he should shoot so then Tsukamoto does shoot and he scores a goal and they win and they're friends again the end yeah so I just want to address a couple things um and then we can move on to Keijo um so we still don't know why Jin was upset yeah, it, it's never, like, it's something to do with his mother and wanting to play in front of her, but it's never actually explained. Of course. Right. And it's just, like, I was actually kind of hoping for, like, a falling out between Tsukamoto and Kazuma. And I know that was, like, silly to hope something of this series, yeah. right? But, you know, it, I really felt like, you know, Tsukamoto was actually trying to sacrifice something for, the, like, the good of the team. Yeah. Like, he had had this character development of... I have to do, like, I have to be willing to, like, have that hunger. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he's going to give up his best friend, Jin. It's like, okay, I thought they were going to try and establish something there. No, no, never mind. Jin's cool with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, uh, Supermoto's lonely. Jin, Jin realizes that. Hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, not good. It's not great. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to address, which was... Um... There is no sense of where anyone is and where the ball is going at any time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we talk a lot about, like, the, the poor animation in this, like, just, like, in regards to still frames, but there are times when characters are shooting, where you see shots of characters shooting the ball, and it's nowhere near where they actually were in the original shot. Yeah, the, the, the soccer doesn't make sense. It's just about... Develop. I mean, there's nothing you can say about this yeah, stupid I know. show to defend the soccer. Um, the one, the one thing I wanted to point to is there was a quote at one point with Kimishita, um, talk referring to Mizuki, where he says, "I don't need to put a name on the way I feel about you. I just want to be the <laughs> one to enable you." 
Um, yeah. Which felt like, since when is this a pairing? Like, what, right. you know, this is supposed to be this angry character who's never satisfied with his forwards, but like, oh no, like, he really treasures his friendship with Mizuki. Suddenly. Okay. Right. And also, if you want to interpret that some other way, go ahead. You know, <laughs> it, it very much mirrored the kind of language that um, Yuri used, coincidentally. Right. Um, in Yuri on Ice, where he said, I don't want to put a name on the... F- I, I don't want to put a name on this feeling. Uh, but then Yuri says, I guess it's love. And Kimishita says, I just want to support you, man. Um, <laughs> so it's total yaoi baiting where they're trying to make you care about these pairings, but they don't actually want to put in the, the effort to justify them. Right. Not like Yuri, where they actually like build up that relationship. Yeah, exactly. This is random. <laughs> like it's, it's hilarious that every single episode of Days, we say... Where did this character motivation come from? <laughs> this has never come up before. Yeah. Um, so, but that's a, we should stop being surprised. Um, <clears throat> I know, but I can't help it because I keep hoping that it's going to turn it around, and it never does. I know. All right. Do you want to briefly discuss Keijo? Okay. So Keijo Nozomi has her match against the Elite Class. She wins. End of story. <laughs> okay. So I'll go a little bit more into it. So, uh, so she has her match. Uh, this girl basically is super, like, detached from the matches because her mother was a prize queen, which is basically the term they use for, like, a champion. Weird term. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. They're, it's almost as if, though, they are trying to draw the connection between women and horses. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so she basically does not concentrate on her matches at all. She has her technique, which she refers to as Cerberus, where her butt moves basically independent from the rest of her body. Um... And so she can basically attack at super high speeds just by, like, her butt moving around on the ring while she fantasizes about boys' love. This is established. Oh, no. Uh, so, because she is super into boys' love. This is also the first time we have ever seen any guys in the series. Because <laughs> um, she is just fan... Because she is, like, watching an anime where two dudes are kissing. It's like, weird to yes. bring it into, like, a female... F- fan service show aimed at guys to have actual yaoi in the show yeah like to have like actual like yaoi where you actually see like the dudes making out okay that's an interesting anyway, choice right anyway so eventually um nozomi is able to make because uh, she's really uh, irritated that this uh this elite uh, her name is fujisaki by the way i didn't mention that she uh she is very frustrated by the fact that she doesn't care about the sport of keijo right and so she wants to make her, like, her goal in this match is to make her pay attention to Nozomi rather than just treat her like any other fighter. So as Cerberus is coming towards her, she uh, she blocks Cerberus and starts using something called a uh, Vibe Ring Hip. Uh. Yeah, you can kind of see where this is going. So they're in a butt lock, and Nozomi is basically, Nozomi is basically wiggling her hips, her, uh, her butt super fast to make her opponent orgasm. Oh, no, no. Wait, what? Really? Uh, well, okay, so that's not actually what happens, but that's what happens. What's actually, because one of the characters mentions that she's very sensitive uh, down south. Um, or south of the border. Um, however, what she was actually referring to was the fact that her feet are very sensitive and they, she can feel slight vibrations in the land, which is the sort of uh, ring that they fight on. Okay. And that she can, she's very sensitive to the vibrations. But, like, Nozomi it, just misinterprets she... it? Um, so the series is basically trying to uh, make... You... It's trying to justify the fan service here. Right. Like, oh no, she's not actually orgasming. She's uh, she's very sensitive to the vibrations that are occurring, like, around her feet. Okay. Even, 
Yeah, so even though it's obvious what's going on here. Okay, so the visual cues are all for that, but they justify it's like, no, she it's just her feet. It's not her Yeah, butt. it's just her feet. Okay. Um, okay, so there is one... Uh, so to counter this, the, the first time... So because of this, she now finally actually has to face Nozomi for the first time. And really, there is an amazing pun here with the attack she uses by the uh, the Shoryukans, which is she pops up to whack her opponent as if it were an uppercut, but she hits her in the face with the boobs. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, okay. I gave, I'm going to give him credit for that one. That is an amazing pun. <laughs> I don't know if it's amazing. It is funny, though. It's a good one. It's a good one. All right, so any final thoughts on this episode um, of K-Drain? Oh, so real quick, I haven't finished the match here. So, oh, sorry. Uh, Nozomi, uh, <laughs> basically, they kind of get into their final conflict. Nozomi is uh, powering up her vacuum butt cannon. Classic, yeah. Uh, and she misses with it at first, and then she starts building it up, whereas uh, Service is chasing her around the ring as she's powering up her butt cannon, which she does by sequentially doing a bunch of flips in a row. Okay. That's how she builds up her momentum for it, right? And so, uh, Nozomi, however, has more time to build this up because, like, the Cerberus is basically just autopilot. She's just chasing, whereas the more she flips around, the more and more power she's building up in her butt. And so this, uh, when they finally clash at the very end, uh, Fujisaki loses. Um, so then the very final thing we learn is that Alba is about to leave because she she's the only one who lost her match. And, uh, you know, she didn't think she was, uh, she was going to be able to... Uh, be able to stay at the university because of it. However, you find out that they actually allowed her to pass because apparently uh, her opponent using the boob the the boob hypnosis was actually not allowed. Sure, why not? Sure. So yeah, basically, and they were very impressed with the way they they had managed to corner her into using this technique. Okay. So they've allowed o, uh, Alba to move up as well. What? And that's the end of the episode. All right. So long riders. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to talk I, about. I kind of got my observations Pedro. in there. I don't. Already, I don't so care. Yeah. I'm not watching it. Um, <laughs> all right, so Long Riders episode four. Um, so the the girls get together to talk about how uh, Amy wants another bike, maybe, and then Amy's like, "Oh, bikes are expensive. I guess I should get a job." She already has a job, but she needs to get a second job. Um, she's not sure what job she's gonna get, but then she finds one, but you don't know what it is yet. Um, then they, uh, go and talk to Hinako, who describes how she has another job too, but she won't tell them what it is either. Turns out she works at her parents' Chinese restaurant, and she dresses in a, uh... Cheongsam. which is basically just a, a Chinese dress, and a bunch of men ogle her, and t tell her how cute she is, and then she hits them in the face, and they say, oh, thank you, can you hit me in the face too, because she's such a sindure, and it's terrible. And then everyone gets worried that Amy is actually working at a hostess club to get money for her bike, so they secretly follow her, but it's not a hostess club. Surprise, it's a maid cafe, because of course it is. And so uh, Amy is working at this maid cafe, and it turns out that she's really clumsy, but her clumsiness makes her really appealing to their clientele who love a clumsy maid, and she's cute, and every time she does something... Uh, she blushes, and then all the men start requesting the extra blushing option for their meal, and then all the girls are relieved that Amy isn't a prostitute, haha, and they decide to work hard and bike together the end. Right, so um, real quick, I just wanted to point out something. 
uh, something that caught my eye about the episode. So the love spell she casts on the guy's food, that wasn't just, like, anime fetishy. Like, I've been to a maid club when I went to Japan a couple years back. Yeah. Yeah, that's something they actually do. Yeah. Like, I had to perform that spell. Oh. Like, I think it was, like, that spell. Huh. So, yeah, go to Akihabara. Go, uh, so this is advertising, hey, guys, go to Akihabara. Go to a maid club. You can do this. Like, look how cute these girls are at the end. Yeah, I mean... This damn show. Um, <laughs> that's all I have to say is that like it was so. I don't know. I was I was into it the first two episodes, but I know now it's not about bikes anymore. It's just about the girls hanging out and having really boring, uncomplicated interactions and being cute and um, dressing up in cute outfits. And don't you want to take a screen cap of this, boys? Like, it feels like it went straight to the lowest common denominator. So, it's really funny because it seems like... Basically, this show and Scorching Ping Pong Girls, they ended up being the opposite of what we expected of both of them. Yeah. I guess. Uh, what, what do you mean? Oh, just on the sense that we were kind of expecting uh, long writers to have, like, a lot of Yuri subtext and uh, oh. not really be... And, like have a little bit more in-depth about biking, where a Scorching Ping Pong Girls was going to be, like, the super pandering one, and it turned out to be the opposite. Yeah, you're right. Um, they're, they're both still kind of... So... Um, I just wanted to point out one thing. Um, bikes are super expensive in Japan. Like, 86,000 yen for this road bike she's going to pay for? That It's, like, it's 45% off. That In U.S. dollars, that's $860. Yeah, and that's at a discount, so... Yeah, that's, like, at, like, almost half price. Yeah, so for a not-superior bike in Japan, it would be, like, what, you know, $1,700? That is, yeah, that is right? crazy. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so no wonder she has to work at a maid cafe. But, gosh, all the ogling in this episode was just freaking ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Man. It's just, like... I mean, how terrible are, uh, are Hinako's parents to make her, like, dress up in a china dress? Yeah, and... Just to draw in these customers to ogle her. It's just like, great, great job for your so daughter's self-esteem yeah, there, guys. Yeah, real weird. And also, they got her a bunny costume. Of course, this stupid show, um, <laughs> will have... in <laughs> like, the parallels with Scorching Ping Pong Girls. Again, they dress up like bunnies, they dress up like maids. Screw this, man. Um, <laughs> alright, I, I don't know, there's no meat here, it's boring, it sucks, it's cheap, they're running out of money and they're just trying to do anything they can to save their budget and appeal to otaku and, you know, somehow break even. This show sucks. Um, <laughs> so, on that note, do you have any closing remarks? I think we're about, about to wrap up. Yeah, uh, I'm good. Alright, do you want to hit the credits for me then? Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshian Cast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.